the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Situation Report this week, where we do our very best to give you the information you need to navigate an ever-changing culture. My name is Jeremy Stolnicker. I'm here with Chad Robichaux. And when it comes to navigating an ever-changing culture, we're going to discuss a topic today that um, is ever-changing. I mean, on a daily basis, it changes. I think we have far more questions than answers, but we're going to do our best. And uh, the, the topic today is specifically on Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, but, but more broadly, it's on uh, tech censorship, big tech, social media companies censoring those of us who use those platforms. And uh, it, it's a huge topic. It's always changing. And we're just trying to navigate our way through that and hopefully providing some help for that. Yeah, it's a, it's, it is a big topic, but it's it's a topic that I think impacts a lot of uh, everyday people and their everyday lives. Uh, people that use social media either personally uh, for their businesses, for their political view, views, for their religious ideologies and things right. they want to share and express. I mean, all those things are, uh, are part of this conversation. You know, at Mighty Oaks Foundation, me personally, we've witnessed uh, some suppression of some of our things. Uh, I know last year we got into it with Google over our... Uh, over the use of the keyword Christian and ended up, you know, talking about that on national media and, and, and really dealing with policy, which a policy changed and it changed back. And, and I mean, it's really uh, surfaced a lot in this election results. You know, we got the president of the United States being censored and fact-checked uh, over the election results, uh, whether, what they are, where they're not. And uh, so it's, yeah, it affects everyone. Um, and in uh, this section 230 is something that, you know, these big tech companies have, I think, was necessary in the beginning. They're hiding behind it now. Right. And it's something that none of us really understand, and uh, including yeah. the people that represent us in, right. in the Congress and in the Senate. And uh, we, we're seeing that clearly as well. So ho- hopefully we can get a little bit of a – I'm looking forward to the show, and hopefully we can understand yeah. it a little, a little better. It, it's crazy. Social media, not too long ago. I mean, you and I are, are the same age, and so – we were adults before all of this became a thing, <laughs> but um, but now uh, social media is how we communicate. I mean, I communicate with people just as much through social media as I do through the telephone and uh, texting and those kind of things. Uh, I think of churches, and you know, right now, particularly with all the COVID stuff, churches have gone online using these free platforms of social media to communicate. And uh, every business, people making money, people uh, doing the things that they do on social media. So this is whether we want to acknowledge it or not, a critical, critical issue. And what's funny is for years, folks have said the potential for censorship exists if we use these platforms. And as we've gotten closer to this year, we've, we've pointed out places where we see it happening. But uh, this year, it's, it's unmasked. We know it's happening. In fact, every, every tweet, every, <laughs> every social media yeah. post from the administration has a fact check on it. Right now, it doesn't matter what they're talking about. And since this is such a complicated issue, we brought on an expert and so grateful today to have with us Pedro Gonzalez from American Greatness.
He's a podcaster. He's a writer. And he has been interviewed, it seems like, just about everywhere. If you look at his bio, just about everywhere on uh, American politics and culture. Uh, One of the interesting things about the American Greatness website, and I'd encourage you to go check that out, is uh, a section on the website. Go look at it. It's called Winston 84. It's a section on the website. And uh, on that, it, it talks about or outlines many of the voices in the United States that have been deplatformed, demonetized, and suppressed. Many of uh, these social media sites. And uh, Winston Smith is a character in George Orwell's 1984, if you're not familiar. And it talks about uh, really groupthink. And it talks about uh, thinking right and conforming and not saying anything that would go against those in power. So this is something they're in and they're deal- dealing with all the time. And uh, thankful that Pedro could be on with us. Uh, Pedro, I want to to, uh, get you to start, but I want to read Section 230 or this part of it before we do. Section 230 says this, No provider or user of an interactive computer service shall be treated as the publisher or speaker of any information provided by another information content provider. So... For most of us, we don't know what that means. Um, Where did this come from? What was the original intent? And uh, how can we have kind of a thumbnail sketch of what all of this is about? First, uh, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Yes, sir. So to start, the Section 230, like you said, originates in the Communications Decency Act. So this is a piece of legislation that arose with the Internet uh, to give immunity to this emerging public forum for information, right? Normally, publishers are liable for content that they publish. Uh, this this arose basically to give um, websites and uh, basically just uh, internet media a kind of immunity from content that is published on them. Um, now, the, the original reasoning was that the internet was in its infancy and that we don't want to stifle what could be, you know, uh, a new way for people to exchange information. Mm-hmm. So we right. should afford these platforms in their infancy a, a degree of uh, immunity. Now, that was in the 90s. I think the, the exact date is 1996. It's been a long time since then. Uh, these platforms are no longer in their infancy. They're no longer uh, these uh, secondary mediums of information exchange. They, they are now, in fact, the biggest mediums for information exchange. Uh, YouTube is essentially a public forum for the discussion of ideas. Uh, you could say the same thing for Facebook and Twitter and all these other social media uh, websites. In fact, they have an outsized uh, ability to drive the outcome of political life by uh, suppressing some information and not suppressing others. Or um, we talk a lot about algorithms and things like that. So that's basically, in a nutshell, the origin of Section 230. It was designed to protect uh, a burgeoning industry uh, in its infancy, and now it's basically become a kind of shield for companies like Facebook to hide behind and kind of, when they get accused of censoring people arbitrarily, they can throw their hands up uh, and and, and claim immunity. Yeah. Is this, is uh, Section 230 still necessary at all? And is it being, I mean, obviously we know it's being abused, but how's it, how's it being both used and abused right now? Well, the first question, is it still necessary? I'm not so sure, um, but that's, it, there's not really a straightforward answer there because so the people that think it, it still is necessary, like, for example, I'll give Josh Hawley as an example. 
he thinks it's possible to fix the issue of censorship um, by removing the immunity that 230 awards by default to publishers to, or to online content producers like Facebook and Twitter, uh, removing that default immunity and instead forcing these publishers to kind of earn it by bringing in the FTC as a kind of mediator to ensure that these platforms are not just censoring on the basis of ideology or something like that. So that's, that's one way of retaining 230 and kind of fiddling with it. Uh, the reason I'm not so optimistic about that is because this is ultimately lawfare. And companies like Facebook and Twitter and Google have so much money. And frankly, they have better lawyers than anyone that they're going to encounter in the federal government. And even if they don't have better, uh, better lawyers, they're fine with just settling a, a lawsuit. You know, Google did this recently where they ended up paying a few million dollars to the federal government. And it's, it's kind of one of these situations where you can kind of imagine Google just saying, well, who should I make the checkout to? And then just resume business as usual, you know? So that's why I'm not really optimistic that fiddling and, and trying to reform within the framework of 230 will solve the issue. Uh, some people have proposed outright repealing 230, which I think is kind of what you're getting at. Can we do that or should we do that? which would expose platforms to uh, legal liability for whatever is published on them. Uh, I'm not sure that, that that wouldn't backfire. In other words, if, if you make platforms like Twitter no longer, um, if they no longer have immunity for stuff that people publish on Twitter, they're not going to censor the content and then open themselves up to a lawsuit uh, by whoever they censor. They're probably just going to de-platform the user. You know, they're going to, they'll kick you off their platform on the basis that, well, uh, you're, you're posting stuff that could get us in trouble, hmm. and because we're legally liable for this, instead of just censoring you, we're just going to deplatform you and say you violated our, uh, our, our our rules and regulations for for usage. So that's the the rock and the hard place. This is a this is a very difficult um, <laughs> topic. I think for a lot of people, and, and for me for sure, and uh, Chad and I had this conversation many many times. Um, because as Americans that appreciate liberty and do our best to keep the government out of our lives, uh, we value the idea of a li limited government. But this is an area where we talk about oversight, we talk about regulation, and there are so many areas that are regulated. I, I get that. But as someone who appreciates and really values the ideas of liberty and uh, you know, the free markets and all of those things, how, how do we strike a balance between uh, let's call for more regulation, let's penalize people who aren't doing what we want them to do. These are free platforms primarily. Um, how do we strike a balance? How do, how do we come to a place where we understand which one we should do? Or is there just not, not a right answer? I think that we are in waters for which conservatism, which has an affinity for, like you said, limiting government power, restricting yeah. government power, shrinking away from government power. We're in waters that conservatism is naturally not comfortable swimming in because of the question that you just raised. Can we strike a balance? Is that possible? And I don't think that our kind of toolkit of conservative ideas mm. and preferences is really workable for much longer because we view Facebook and Twitter and Google, these tech entities, as private corporations, basically as just huge businesses. 
but in fact, their influence and scope and resources rival nation states. In some cases, uh, in fact, companies like Google have more money uh, than, than entire countries. And uh, they, they also have politicians in their pockets that they mm. rely on. It's not, it's not just Democrats um, that, that are the enemy in terms of censorship against ideas and things like that. Republicans might talk a big game about the need to limit government power, but then they will turn around and bring full power of government to bear to fulfill the wildest dreams of their tech donors. You, you saw this recently uh, with Mike Lee and this uh, HR 1044 immigration bill, which in short, this is a handout. It's a cheap labor subsidy for, uh, that will primarily benefit these tech companies. So Republicans might talk a big game about, you know, limiting uh, power, whether it's government or uh, eliminating uh, what they might call crony capitalism, but then not one of them will object to this immigration bill that benefits these companies that we're talking about, not even Josh Hawley. I I don't think a single Republican has actually spoken out against this bill. Uh, So again, I, I think the issue that you just raised that I don't know what we're doing or where do we go, I think that's actually normal because we are in uncharted territory. Before we jump into that, I'd love to talk to you for just a second about church. We all know how important church is, but things have gotten kind of twisted sideways of late. We all know that we're experiencing that. If you're looking for a church and maybe just an online experience because your normal worship experience is not available to you, check out the church that I attend, coastlineonline.org. It's a church that we've been attending for about 20 years. The music is great. The worship experience is incredible. The preaching is directly from Scripture. And I would invite you to come and be a part of that service with us. Coastlineonline.org. I wanted to take a minute to let our audience know about the work that we do through an incredible veterans nonprofit called the Mighty Oaks Foundation. Many of our nation's warriors struggle with the hardships of military service and reintegration back into civilian life. Often they leave broken homes in their aftermath and comprise one of the most at-risk groups for suicide, with over 20 veterans who take their lives every single day. Mighty Oaks tackles this critical issue with our faith-based peer-to-peer resiliency and recovery programs offered at no cost to our honored servicemen and women at beautiful ranches across the United States. Mighty Oaks has one of the highest success rates of any program available anywhere. Visit MightyOaksPrograms.org. To learn more about how you can make a direct impact in the lives of our servicemen and women to help them find a new life purpose through hope in Christ. Again, that's MightyOaksPrograms.org. Witnessing the transformation that these men and women go through is absolutely incredible. There are no words to describe seeing warriors restored to the lives they were created to live, changing their legacies for eternity. Your support is needed now more than ever and will ensure that our programs are here for our warriors who are in desperate need. Again, the website is mightyoaksprograms.org. Does it come down to we just need to view these entities differently than we are? Instead of looking at them as companies, we need to look at them as global influencers and that changes how we approach that? I think so. I think that's right. I I think that we really can no longer view this as like there's no difference between taking... Uh, taking on Google and, I don't know, imposing regulations on like a mom and pop candle shop. It's just not the same. Uh, right. These are like, these are multinational globetrotting companies uh, with their, like Google controls 94% of, I think, all data 
are all mobile data that people interact with worldwide. I mean, th th we're not talking about a small business uh, in, in terms of influence as well. Like um, the fact that these companies can drive political outcomes, not just in the United States, but in other countries. Right. What we're dealing with basically it's um, in, in international relations theory. This is like what you would call a state within a state. So you have the official state, the U.S. government, and the official establishment, Republicans, Democrats, Congress, all that stuff, the courts. And then you have within the state, another state or like another actor that has a lot of influence. Right. And I, that is what tech companies are approaching with their ability to buy politicians and influence policy. Right. Wow. If I could kind of maybe zoom in on a little more pragmatic level for like the everyday person, uh, I'll use myself as an example. I'm, you know, I have an Instagram verified account. Uh, I, I post on Instagram a lot of uh, faith-based content, a lot of um, conservative content. And usually my, my reach is, grows by about plus 55% every week. And last week, uh, I noticed that just like somebody hit a switch and turned off my, my account. And now, and now a week into that, I'm you know, a negative 70%. And, and yeah. uh, so clearly something has happened. And uh, you know, we've contacted them and they say, no, we didn't do anything. Um, which is, you know, very obvious uh, that it has. And so what does someone like me or the average person do when that happens to them? Is there a recourse? Is there a course of action? I don't think that there is uh, because, you know, it, it, we've seen this with people trying to like sue Google or, or sorry, sue Twitter and, and stuff like that. And there's just not, it, there's not a whole lot we can do. It's It's not the same as suing like a normal business. These are huge companies. Um, there, there's just not a lot of recourse. I mean, you can try to, to navigate through the the infrastructure that they have in place, you know, like uh, submitting a complaint to Instagram or submitting a complaint to Twitter. But again, at the end of the day, uh, you are at their whim. So uh, no, I don't think that there's a lot. Increasingly, there's not a lot that we can do without uh, allies in the federal government, unfortunately, which again, conservatives probably, that hmm. makes them uncomfortable, right? Allies in the <laughs> Yeah. But, but that's the reality of it. Um, I, I think Trump showed promise of this initially, uh, of being a kind of executive with the energy and, uh, frankly, aggression levels to counteract uh, like Silicon Valley. But I think he underestimated this threat. And, mm -hmm. and instead of seeking polarization with Silicon Valley, he sought compromise which I think ultimately was a mistake. And I mean, right now he's kind of living in that mistake with uh, with Twitter, like censoring him and fact checking him left and right about his election claims and stuff like that. So um, what, when you talk about polarization versus compromise, can you flesh that out a little bit? I think in about 2017 or 2018, this, this office was created that I think a, a lot of people don't really know about or fully understand. It's called the Office of American Innovation and the OAI for short, was designed to be a conduit between Silicon Valley and the White House, not just Silicon Valley. It, it was kind of a, a, like a conduit for corporate America, uh, which includes Silicon Valley, uh, to basically work with the White House uh, on policy. And so the AI gave a direct line of communication to people like Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, and um, like Jeff Bezos, it, it allowed them to communicate with the White House and, and uh, kind of say yes or no, uh, whether they liked policy or didn't like. Right. So in 2017, to give you an example, Trump announced that he was going to take action and restrict, uh, I think, H-1B visas, 
which are mostly used by tech companies. Um, and, and so the, the cycle kind of works like this. Tech companies use cheap labor, uh, which saves them money, hurts Americans, because it creates job competition and undermines their wages. And with the money that uh, these tech companies save uh, on the cheap labor, uh, they use to lobby politicians. So that's kind of like, that. The, that's the issue with, uh, with, with the immigration system right. and tech and stuff like that. Okay. So when Trump announced that he was going to impose restrictions on the H-1B, um, Tim Cook, uh, and Tim Cook basically called the White House and said he wasn't happy with that. And people within the Office of American Innovation, led by Jared Kushner and I think Brooke Rollins, kind of convened with these uh, tech allies and basically got Trump to back off on restricting the H-1B visa. And so that's what I mean by compromise, kind right. of. Instead of, instead of like you know going at, like going after these companies not just in terms of legislation but also hitting them where it hurts in their wallet yeah I think he, he kind of thought well maybe I can uh, show them that I'm someone who can be worked with uh, but I, again I think he underestimated how ruthless these companies right. is there a way and 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 I know you, you don't have a magic wand but you know in theory is there a way to protect free speech to protect the rights of citizens and users? but also to protect the, um, the rights, the freedoms of the platforms that are giving those users a place to speak. Can we do both? What's the path forward for that? I think it's going to come down to, because doing both would presuppose that both sides are willing to basically come to an agreement. Um, I don't think that, that doesn't seem to be the case. It seems to be the case that the other side, the people that we're, you know, we're talking about right now, um, don't really care to come to an agreement with us. They're, they're kind of just biding their time or finding ways to kind of wiggle through loopholes in, right. in these uh, these armistices. So I think ultimately it's going to come down to us saying what is more important. Uh, do we care more about the privileges and let's say corporate rights of these companies, or do we care more about um, the free flow of information? Do we care more about, um, a bit basically about sovereignty? Who's in charge here? Is it Silicon Valley, mm. or is it us, and and or us through our representatives? Essentially, yeah. Uh, I, I think that ultimately we're going to have to pick a side. And one thing I proposed that is I think radical for a lot of people, but it's funny because I, I hear more people talking about it, is using the threat of nationalization. Uh, e either actually doing it or threatening to do it um, to either dissolve these companies if they're too big and too powerful or essentially taking them and uh, reforming them through the public carrier framework, which would kind of turn them into like public utilities. Right. Uh, so like turn Twitter into a public transit station for information, which where they couldn't um, as easily anyways uh, censor people uh, or at least not as arbitrarily. So again, that is a really radical prescription, but I'd like to start at the at the most extreme point and then work back from there. I think most ideas seem radical at the beginning and then they start to make sense after a while. We don't know what else to do. I, Let's yeah, do that. Yeah, yeah. Um, these certainly are uncharted waters. And, and man, we're gonna have to figure this out. And the next, uh, I think the next couple of years are gonna prove to be very, very interesting, even as technology changes. And, and as technology changes, some of this may, uh, may not be as applicable, but we'll have to figure it out. Pedro, thank you for your time. Uh, uh, tell us, uh, tell us where people can find you, follow you, and uh, stay in tune with the work that you're doing. 
So I've got a newsletter and the first part of the newsletter, the name is Contra, like Iran Contra, uh, .substack.com. So if you go to contra.substack.com, uh, you'll get my columns whenever I publish. I usually write about two a week and you can also see all of my social media stuff there and all of my interviews. Like I'll be posting this one there. Awesome. Man, thank you so much. This is a crazy issue, and I'm sure we're going to ask you to come back on and help us navigate uh, further as things adjust. But thanks for talking to us. Really appreciate it. Again, another wonderful conversation. Thankful for Pedro's insights. And uh, clearly, this is something we're trying to figure out. But I want to sum up this conversation for you, at least give you some things to think about. So here is today's situation report. Number one. We need to care about this issue, whether it's Section 230 or just the overreach of many of these social media and tech platforms. We need to care because it impacts every area of our lives, whether we like it or not. Uh, The second thing is this, and this is really important. We have to understand that we are wading in some waters that are very new to conservatives. As a conservative, I value liberty, as I'm sure you do, and trying to understand where all of this fits and to find the balance between regulation and liberty, free speech, and all of the issues that we discussed is going to be critical moving forward. But this is new. So the metric we use, the perspectives we see this from, will have to change. And then finally, speaking of perspective, we must view tech companies, these large tech companies, these large social media companies, different than local companies, those found within our communities. These really are very specifically global companies that act very much in ways like countries and need to be treated differently than how we would treat regular companies within our communities. We have to see them right in order to figure out what the next steps moving forward must be. And that is your Situation Report. Thank you for joining us this week. Look forward to talking to you next time we're together. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.